You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Wednesday. I am so glad I do not sound like a frog. Well, at least for (laughs) right now. I don't know what's going on in the air. Uh, You know, it went from like 90 degrees in the Bay Area to it's not that much colder, maybe like 77, but it's um, it's sprinkling a little bit. That's fun. It, 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 It almost feels like there's life and there's water. Yay, Evident- rain. Rain, uh, and evidently there's water um, on Mars. That's, oh. uh, you know, that scientists have found some uh, evidence that there, there's been traces of water underneath uh, maybe some of that planet, if you will, <laughs> the planet Mars. Nice. I heard that they also found something very similar to Earth. Oh, yeah. I I would be down to be shipped to another planet um, <laughs> to live. Not that like I hate it so bad <laughs> here, but uh, you know that that might be interesting. I would be able to say that uh, the second half of my lifetime I lived in a different planet. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday, this Hump Day. Fong, our producer, is in studio. Um, it, it's a weird Wednesday. I can't wait for the weekend already. I just, I just have been feeling so depressed. I'm going to be very honest with you, Fong. It's been tough. You know, every day I've, I've been having to defend, you know, woman's right. Oh. Of course, I'm alluding to the situation regarding Planned Parenthood and, Mm -hmm. you know, a few, um, politicians who are looking to defund the organization. And so that always brings up uh, controversy, uh, and when we, you know, have conversations with people in our family, in our circles and like all that stuff. And so it becomes hard to explain to them, like, you know, there's been no evidence found that Planned Parenthood sells uh, fetuses, you know, um, or tissue. Uh, and so you to defund the entire organization means you're taking away from 2.7 million people, of course, women. But that includes men, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's... <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, yeah, what to say is what the f- I'm just Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that's the conversation that most of the talk show hosts here on the Progressive Voices Network have been talking about. Uh, and if there's anybody on the air on this network that is saying, you know, we should defund Planned Parenthood, they should be off the Progressive Voices Network. <laughs> <laughs> off. Off they go. Off they go. All right, let's get our program started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today was the former president of Exodus International, an organization that promoted solutions and treatment of homosexuality or ex-gay therapy. The organization ended up folding in 2013. So we're lucky to have uh, our our next guest here with us to discuss his new book, My Exodus, From Fear to Grace, a never-before-told story, Alan Chambers. Alan, welcome to the program. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I've, I've kind of waited a really long time <laughs> to talk to Alan Chambers. <laughs> uh, you know, we started this program 10 or so years ago, and so we definitely went through the Exodus International days. Um, so I'm very, very happy to have you on the program today. Uh, let's start Thanks. with the introduction of the book. You tell an interesting story about Matt, uh, who's a, fo- a former employee, 
And in a time in which you uttered publicly for the very first time, I still have same-sex attractions. I'll let you, I'll let you tell the rest of the story. Well, you know, I was sitting there with Matt, and he had been depressed, and that wasn't uncommon for especially the single um, people who worked in our office. Even before my time at Exodus, I remember hearing a lot of stories. It was hard to get the phone calls that we got, and so many people who would would call in, and whether they were angry uh, on one side or another, or they were sharing these devastating stories. Um, And so when Matt was kind of moping around the office for a week or so, um, within a a short period of time of, of that, I just said, hey, Matt, you need to come in and talk with me what's going on. And we sat there, like I said in the book, in some uncomfortable silence for a period of time. But I really wanted him to open up without me badgering him to um, tell me what was going on. And I, I didn't know what was going on. You know, at the time I wondered, you know, does he have a boyfriend? Is he thinking of quitting? Is um, what, what is the deal here? And within a few very uncomfortable minutes of silence, he said, I'm never going to be like you. And I just immediately knew what he meant. Um, and I said, well, what do you mean? Um, even though I knew, I just wanted him to articulate that. And he said, I'm never going to be straight like you. I'm never going to have a wife and kids like you. I'm never going to be healed like you. And I, I thought, holy crap, what have I done? Um, this kid thinks something about me that isn't true. And I, I remember sitting there with him that day and just telling him, you know, I am married and I love my wife and there's nobody I love more. There's nothing I want more. I do have kids. I love my kids. But to say that I don't still have um, gay feelings or attractions or those types of things um, would be lying. And what I realize is I've told um, the really pretty silver box part of my story um, and I haven't shared all of it. And from this day forward, I'm going to do that. And, and I know he was grateful in that moment. But I just, I, I look back and, and certainly throughout the rest of my tenure at Exodus, um, I was really grateful for his honesty. And he wasn't trying to confront me. He probably thought he would get fired for um, sharing, you know, some of the things that he shared. But what I realized was um, we've made this sound like something it's not. It sounds too easy. And though it took us a lot of years to get, to get brutally honest, even now I'm learning to be more and more honest about um, these realities and um, use language that um, isn't flowery or Christian, um, but mm-hmm. just to say, hey, this is the reality of my story. Uh, I, I don't know where I would be without Matt, and I'm grateful for him. And, and, you know, to you telling this story, this never-told-before story, it's so important because I'm sure uh, some of our listeners who are listening right now want me to go into this interview really hard. Like, how could you? How, you know, being a part of our community and you, you know, contradicted everything that we're about and blah, we're not going to get there yet. I think uh, telling the story is the most important part in getting to know Alan Chambers, and then we can answer the why uh, let's start with your childhood, because I think that that is, um, it, you know, that's context to, you know, it set you up for the future, right? What was it like growing up as Alan Chambers? Well, you know, we can, I think we can do a lot of disservice by going back and only thinking of, of the bad. And there certainly is, you know, woven into anyone's story um, things that if they could go back and they were the creator, they would have changed or moved around. 
Um, but, you know, being a, a little kid, as I was writing the book, um, one of my friends um, was, was saying, as I read the book, I, I, it sounded like you were having fun telling these stories, that it was lighthearted, that it was, um, you enjoyed that part of, of writing your story. And I did, you know, looking back, thinking about that little creative kid who um, pretended to be Alice um, at a neighbor's house down the street for um, however long I was, I was playing that role. And um, the things that I creatively came up with in my own little private world, um, it reminded me how fun and creative and lighthearted I was, which does lead to a little bit of sadness um, that I lived in a culture and a time um, and within a, a church context um, that squashed some of that creativity. And today I wonder, you know, what would I be like? What um, obstacles would I not have to overcome in my creativity, in my um, the dramatic side of me um, that I still probably edit today to some degree um, if I hadn't gone through that? And so it you know, looking back, there is some, some heartache and some pain, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and I can't change any of that. All I can do today is look back and say, man, I really don't want to do that to my kids. I don't want to see anyone else go through those same experiences, and that's why I'm sharing a lot of my stories mm-hmm. so that people don't um, go through the same heartache um, that I once did. Well, th- there's something also important to note that, uh, you know, as a devout Christian, it's not like you woke up one day and was born again at, like, 23 years old. I mean, you lived as a devout Christian. Your upbringing, your family, um, that started with childhood, right? It did, yeah. I I grew up in church in a Southern Baptist tradition, um, and I'm thankful for for parts of that. But I I look back, and the the things that I'm very critical of today are how how they treated, how I was treated, how I then learned to treat. LGBT people, and, and even people um, outside of the LGBT community with whom um, we saw as different or less than or in need of, of repairing. Um, and, and I find, you know, a lot of regret in that and, and sadness that, that I went through that and um, it took me so long to, um, to realize that there was no life in that. Mm-hmm. Michelle Miao on the phone with us is Alan Chambers with his new book, My Exodus, From Fear to Grace. Alan is also the former president of Exodus International, a uh, nonprofit organization that promoted ex-gay therapy. It ended up folding in 2013. And we're just touching on Alan's uh, background in which I, I wanted to get to because you do you do do that extremely well um, as you you know get into the book. Uh, what I loved about it, it was, a, you know, it's almost like I could hear you ease, uh, you know, the reader into it, that it wasn't in your face all about religion and spirituality or things that are unfamiliar to me if I'm not Christian. Um, in Chapter 3, you, you talk about uh, E. Luther Ross, and, and you know, let's, um, let's talk about what that's all about. Sure, and you're good. You, <laughs> you pronounced that very well. Um, Eleutheros was the local um, Orlando-based uh, ministry within Exodus. When I closed Exodus in 2013, we had about 260 organizations within the United States underneath our umbrella. Some were churches, some were counselors, and, and some were uh, member organizations, kind of like Eleutheros. Lay organizations 
Um, some of them had professional counselors that were there. Some of them didn't. Mine did. Um, and Eleutheros was um, started in, in the very early 80s, 1982, um, and I went there in 1991 as a, um, a 19-year-old college student. And, you know, so many people have said, you know, do you regret that part of your story? Do you wish you had never gone there? And for me as a Christian kid, you know, who had been um, dealing with these gay feelings in the context of a church that condemned those things, um, there was no other place. There was no gay Christian network where I could um, just be free to um, explore the possibilities of being gay. The only thing that was available for me, I, I had no contact or knowledge of the gay community. Um, all I knew was, um, this is the first thing I've heard about. I am a Christian, they're Christians, and when I walked through the doors, they didn't slap me with a Bible. Um, they didn't um, look at me cross-eyed. They didn't yell at me. They didn't tell me I had to do this or that. They were just simply a group of people who were there for me, um, misguided in some of their efforts, to be sure. Um, but as a 19-year-old kid, I had it was the only alternative. And for me, um, I, if if I'd lived another moment without sharing that truth um, about who I was and what I was dealing with, um, I don't know what I would have done. And so, you know, there's an aspect I'm very thankful for um, that they were there. Um, and yet, what I realized, you know, over the years, and certainly um, now, was while there was a lot of great intentions, um, and I'm thankful that they showed up for me. You know, I, there were things that um, I adopted and learned there um, that weren't helpful for me or for others um, who listened to me speak and, and heard me um, and, and watched me lead for all of those years. Ellen, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I got to I got to speed it up a little bit because I only really got a little bit of time with you. I want to continue the story and get into some of the uh, tough questions that our listeners are probably dying to to hear me ask. So you'll stay with us. Absolutely. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You 
are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our guest on the phone is Alan Chambers, who's the former president of Exodus International. He's got a new book out, My Exodus from Fear to Grace. Uh, Alan, so I said, you know, I got to kind of get into it now. Uh, But I still have this this burning question. I mean, I feel like the Alan Chambers that was portrayed to me, you know, uh, as a as a lesbian or gay person and the stories that were told in the media, um, obviously, you know, we didn't know that uh, you were attracted to men or gay. Um, and, and prior to working for Exodus, you absolutely accepted the fact that you were attracted to men, right? Yeah, I mean, it was hard to, to deny. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was a, a part of my story. And so, you know, there was a, a period of time where I I thought maybe this is, this is a life I can live. And um, for... Um, a number of reasons um, that was um, it, it just didn't happen, um, and I ended up um, living the life I'm living today, which I'm grateful for. Um, but there was a, a detour um, to the freedom that I feel today um, that took place through through Exodus. And even you know, prior to working for Exodus and being involved in that, I mean, it did. It, any time you go through, did you go through an ex-gay, uh, you know, uh, therapy session, or did you try to deny your sexuality? Sure. I mean, of course, I think that that's a, a huge part of what people do. They feel um, so conflicted um, in their faith and their sexuality that they deny. And I, I remember saying this line, deny what comes naturally to you. And I remember Jeremy Hooper, who's um, a, a well-known blogger in the gay community, Good As You is his blog, um, saying, what in the world are you talking about? Why would you deny that part of you? And I just thought, well, well you just don't get the whole Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what I learned through my faith and where we live today and an understanding of, of grace and a, a God that is um, fully inclusive um, is I, I didn't have to deny anything. Um, he knew all about it. Um, all the years I was trying to deny um, all sorts of things, thinking that would make me more successful in any number of areas, um, not to, uh, not the least of which was my Christianity. God was saying, just be you. Um, just I, 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 lo- I created you um, before the foundation of the world, and, and I knew this about you, and I created you anyway, so you're good. You're good, and we're good. So by the time you were, you know, president of Exodus International, uh, you believed in your heart that, you know, homosexuality uh, could be reversed or repaired? Yeah, you know, it, so much of this was tied to my faith, and, and so many preachers um, use Scripture as, as a proof. Um, and and I, I'm not the only one, obviously, um, that sits, in, in church day in and day out growing up, and even as an adult um, until a certain point. Um, and here's um, these scriptures, and here's these messages, and, and just kind of um, allows it to be spoon-fed. Um, and, and you go on believing what someone has taught you without really studying it for yourself. And I think that's one of the, the great tragedies of religion, is that we're taught um, Scholars and theologians and all of these people have the access to God, um, and the little peon people sitting in the pew just need to listen and take it in. And, and I did that for a long time before I realized, man, someone just quoting one verse to me, there's 
30 more verses in that same passage, and then there's 20 chapters in this whole um, book of the Bible um, that, that really need to be considered before you take this one verse out of context, which is how it was preached. And, and that, was, that was the whole issue of, of, of this for me, you know, hearing homosexuals won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's enough to, to absolutely frighten anyone into a closet, especially a kid. And, and that's really what I grew up under um, mm-hmm. until I began to research it for myself and, um, and look at it for myself and am still doing that and realizing, thankfully, that I don't have to, to look to a priest or a pastor or any, anyone else um, to understand those things for myself and to believe it for myself. Whether I believe it right or wrong, um, God's good with that. Michelle Miao on the phone with us is Alan Chambers, who's the author of My Exodus from Fear to Grace, a never before told story. Um, and uh, he's the former president of Exodus International, an organization that promoted ex gay therapy. Uh, Alan, at what point, um, or did you actually realize that, uh, you know, ex gay therapy was harmful to LGBT people while you were at Exodus? Absolutely. You know, there were, it was a, a growing evolution. And um, while Exodus was primarily, you know, when people think of Exodus and they think conversion therapy goes hand in hand or reparative therapy goes hand in hand, we certainly partnered with reparative therapy organizations. Exodus was more of a, um, a support group model, uh, a Christian Alcoholics Anonymous to some degree. Um, but when I over the years, you know, you would hear stories that people would, would come out of therapy and they would say, this is what happened. Or you'd hear someone present, and I remember even back in, in the year 2000, um, the year before I was hired as the president of Exodus, I was sitting in a, um, a workshop session at an Exodus conference, um, and this man began to demonstrate what he did um, with his clients in therapy, and he called it holding therapy. Um, and in this session, he had someone lay down on the ground, and he took his legs and spread this guy's legs open, and then he laid down right on top of him. And I thought to myself, what the hell is that? Mm. Um, and I was elected to the board of directors of Exodus that year, and my first, um, my first act as a, as a board member was to say, this has no place in therapy whatsoever, certainly not in this type of therapy. That is abusive. Um, it is malpractice. Um, and that was banned from Exodus um, for the, the remaining life of Exodus. But along the way, you know, you'd read a story in the New York Times about a therapist who was standing up his clients nearly naked or completely naked in front of a mirror. And, and you think, this is, not, um, this is not logical. This is abusive. This is malpractice. And, and as we heard those stories um, all along the way, we got to a place where we said, you know, anything having to do with reparative therapy, and we waited too long. Um, we should have, in the moment that we thought there's anything connected anywhere to these things, um, but we finally said this is not going to be a part of, of what we endorse at Exodus. In fact, we're going to talk very loudly um, about how damaging it can be. Um, we didn't want to deny someone their right to decide how to live their life for themselves, um, but we also realized this type of therapy is, is shameful, um, it's um, inflicting more wounds, it's not healing, it's not helping, orientation isn't changing, and I, I remember starting to talk about that on some of the talk shows, and um, several counselors, one in particular, would call me and they'd say, hey, Alan, stop saying that. Whether it's true or whether it's not, stop saying it. If you'll come into therapy with me, 
be able to cure you and heal you. And I Ew. thought, this, this is ludicrous. I, this is ridiculous, and we're not doing this anymore. I wonder, Alan, if Exodus International had not folded, um, where, where, do you think, where do you think you would be today? If it didn't fold? Not at Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> um, not at, I mean, you know, what I was doing was, was a career killer for me. You know, those oh. last few years, it was, it was always a battle. You know, I was, um, I felt like I was always somewhat of a more progressive voice um, within Exodus, and there were a lot of people who liked um, that, but there were a lot of people who didn't. And towards the end, the last um, three or four years in particular, um, you know, the things that I was saying were deeply offensive to the to so many people within Exodus, which is why um, so many left and another network was formed before we ever closed Exodus. Um, and and so I, I don't know where I would be today um, other than where I'm at. Um, I wouldn't be at Exodus. Let's talk about where you're at. Um, I didn't mention before, but this book uh, was written with um, Leslie Chambers, who is your ex-wife? No, or, she's my wife. She's your wife. I don't know where I read ex-wife. She's my wife. It must have been a blog that somebody had wished that you... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> my, my mistake. So this is written with your wife. Um, what are th- yeah. what, what's life like now, you know, having uh, this book out and telling your true story? Quieter. Uh, you know, we um, closed Exodus in June of 2013, and we walked off the stage, and we thought, you know, we're going to start another organization, but very quickly realized um, we don't want to do that. You know, to do so looks like rebranding or a marketing ploy or whatever, you know, several gay activist friends said, Alan, frankly, we're tired of hearing from you. You need a a break. We need a break. Just go away for uh, a little while. Do something else. Go work at um, Pottery Barn or something like that. Just be out of the the public life for a while. And and we took that to heart. And and there were times where um, we jumped in where we felt like it was necessary. The ban on the, the President Obama's call to ban um, reparative therapy for minors, we felt like it was important to jump in on um, talking about our support of, of um, the SCOTUS decision on marriage. Um, we felt like it was important to weigh in on. But for the most part, we were quiet, and it's, it's been a quieter um, life, which is, is challenging. You know, there are, are times when we wanted to jump in um, and, and talk, but we, we really um, we needed to figure out who we were and what we believed um, ourselves without um, outwardly processing that um, with others who were um, who were listening. So you may have heard a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe me being surprised when you did correct me that um, Leslie is still your wife um, because, uh, you know, coming out against Exodus and, and uh, reparative therapy and also admitting to your attraction to men, I thought that maybe maybe a little bit of me had assumed that, um, you know, you may have you may have moved on from that whole entire life and maybe a part of the, the gay community, even dating men. Um, but where are you with uh, your sexuality and, uh, you know, and, and kind of you made peace with yourself and just accepted that and, and, and that the fact that you're still with your wife is that it's just that you love your wife. Absolutely. And, you know, for years we, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I get so many um, guys who are, 19, 20, 21, 22, who are saying, I've been dating this girl for three years. Should I marry her? Um, I still feel gay. I still have 
all of these feelings. And for years at Exodus, uh, because our story was what it was, um, because Leslie was always my first choice, she wasn't a consolation prize or um, some secondary choice because I couldn't be gay, but, Mm -hmm. you know, she was always my first choice. But what we thought was, man, this is great. This is, this is what everyone should have. And um, what a misguided, um, destructive thing um, that was a part of that. And, and so, you know, my sexuality and my story is what it always has been. You know, there have been no surprises in our marriage, um, and our family is what it is. But it's not a model that people should look to and say, oh, he did it so I can do it. Um, this is just my story. Um, and it took a long time for us to learn that. Um, but we're, I'm grateful we did. I'm thankful for, for Leslie. We have um, a great life. We're totally compatible. And, um, you know, people have asked, well, could you have been happy with a man? Yes, but I didn't end up with a man. I ended up with Leslie. And, um, and I'm thankful I did. Uh, do let Leslie know. I apologize, but I absolutely commend her. I mean, it's um, it shows her strength and you know just how much she loves you to to stand with you and stick by your side. I am sad that I'm running out of time here with you, so I've got just time for one question, um, and that's Let's do it again. Yeah, I hope so. I uh, I really enjoyed the read, and and so I definitely make sure to remind our listeners today that they can get their hands on a copy of your book. Uh, but my last question to you, you know, is just um, a general question about the future, the future of Christianity. I feel like the uh, fundamental, or, or at least the, the, the basic teaching of Christianity has become the subject um, in the media lately that's uh, quite negative. And um, I don't think that even as uh, LGBT Christians, that's what we intend to do when we talk about LGBT rights. What, what is your hope for the future? Well, you know, people like me and, and so many of us in the conservative church nearly killed Christianity. Um, I, I think the way we've branded it and spoken for Jesus um, is anti-Christ um, and certainly has been anti-gay and anti-people. Um, and my hope for the church is that um, there's wonderful things on the horizon. You know, I look at um, people all around me. Um, for years I heard stories of gay people leaving the church. Well, I've I've begun hearing stories and witnessing gay people going back into the church. Um, they're going back into thriving, vibrant gay churches or um, open and affirming congregations. And what I see is um, the church is going to be very, very surprised um, that they can thank the gay community and the LGBT community um, for really um, bringing the church into the 21st century and beyond, um, because I, I see so many good things. I was at a, um, a church in um, Long Beach last year, um, a, a um, lesbian couple um, who have been together for 30 years lead that congregation, and they are doing amazing mission work all around the world. They're doing an amazing work in Southern California, um, and it's it's a testament to um, what can um, when your focus is Jesus and not on a culture war. Alan, thank you so much for your time with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Alan Chambers, he's the author of My Exodus, From Fear to Grace, a never-before-told story. Make sure you get your hands on a copy of this. It's a great read, and also it, it absolutely um, contributes to our progress, in, in, in my opinion. So grab a copy. When we return, we're, we, uh, we will talk about Christian—not Christianity. <laughs> I'm sorry. Catholics in the LGBTQ community, so don't go away. Mm-hmm. 
You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. And that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday, this hump day. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Fong, our wonderful producer, is in studio. I thank Alan Chambers again for being on the program, sharing his never-told-before story. Um, wow. It, it, it's, it's so fascinating. I think conversations like this always kind of brings us more in the middle, uh, which is why I'm also equally excited to have our next guest on the program, Marianne Duddy-Burke, who is the Executive Director of Dignity USA, an organization of LGBT Catholics. Marianne, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yesterday, we had the uh, the the treat of speaking to Michael K. Lavers, who's with Washington Blade, who reported extensively on the Pope's visit here. And I asked him about, you know, what he thought the impact um, that the Pope had on the LGBTQ community gave a great answer. But I am very curious to hear from you, uh, having, you know, you're the executive director of Dignity USA. How do you, how do you feel the Pope did uh, with his visit here to the States and the LGBTQ community? 
Well, I think that people's perceptions of the visit, particularly in the LGBT and ally community today, are, are really skewed by this news of the meeting that the Pope had with Kim Davis and his apparent endorsement of her agenda in, in refusing to give a same-sex marriage license out. Um, I think prior to that news coming out, people may have been pretty enthusiastic about the kind of message of mercy and seeming inclusion that the Pope was given. Um, but this really seems to have turned that on its head for a lot of people. I just had an email from somebody saying, what a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, it felt that way. Although, you know, uh, I I was throughout the entire time we were focusing on the Pope's visit. It's it, it, it almost felt like a roller coaster. Um, and even for a non-Catholic person, um, you know, there were great things that he said. And then there were things that were questionable. Uh, and then so I'm it's it's almost like at this point with the news of the Kim Davis visit feels like a conundrum. Like why? Why support someone like Kim Davis? And that comes down to, you know, religious leaders and their beliefs of um, religious right. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts about that? You know, considering you yourself being a part of an organization of, of LGBTQ Catholics. Yeah, I, I think that we really need to separate the leadership of the church from the church overall in some ways, with, while right. still realizing that the church leadership, you know, has a huge impact on things that happen across the globe. I mean, I think most people at this point have seen all of the studies that have come out over the past 20 years that show that Catholics, um, particularly in the Western countries, but growing even in other parts of the world, really do support and affirm their LGBTQ family members, friends, allies, you know, are very supportive of of employment non-discrimination, of transgender equality, of, of same-sex marriage, you know, and on and on and on. And yet we have this persistent stubbornness from the leadership of the Church, um, you know, in holding on to these very old-fashioned and damaging doctrines and practices. You know, Pope Francis is a bit of a conundrum. I mean, he seems to... <laughs> be holding out, you know, this, this message of inclusion and welcome, and yet, you know, we'll continue the language about family being one man, one woman, and their kids, or, you know, same-sex marriage as a threat to the family, or making statements at the UN, you know, about ideological colonization rather than accepting, you know, being gay or being trans as part of the normal human condition and fighting for for our human rights to be supported and not violated in any way. I mean, I think he missed a major opportunity uh, to be inclusive in that speech. And not to politicize our, you know, our discussion here, um, uh, but yeah, I, ha I can't help but compare it to some uh, political leaders here in this country who have had to evolve uh, on their position regarding LGBT rights. Do you think that that's what's happening with the Pope, that this is part of maybe an, uh, an evolution or a process, and, and we're just kind of, we're just not there yet? Well, that's one of the reasons that Dignity USA and many of our allied um, organizations from the Catholic, Latino, uh, and LGBTQ communities 
sent a letter to Pope Francis urging him to meet with our community members and our families during uh, during this meeting. I mean, I think he is a person who is very motivated by pastoral concerns. And if he took the time to sit with members of our community, uh, our families, and hear about what damage has been done by the church teaching and pastoral practices and understand what it is that we need to hear and what it is we're really asking for, I think we'd get a clear sense of where he stands and he might be more willing to be clear about his positions and where he wants to take mm-hmm. the church on this. Mm-hmm. You know, in the meantime, I think it's, you know, the people of the church are moving one way and the leadership is moving in a very different direction and that's creating this huge chasm and, and leading more and more people to leave the church. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Marion Duddy Burke, who is the executive director of Dignity USA, an organization of LGBT Catholics. Uh, Marion, you know, speaking of church leadership, um, here in San Francisco, the Archbishop of uh, the Catholic Church here in San Francisco, Salvatore Cordiglione, has been in the media a lot. I mean, he's the guy who um, you wanted to rewrite uh, rules in, in Catholic schools regarding homosexuality. Um and obviously has marched, you know, with organizations that promoted traditional marriage and has made anti-gay comments. With someone like that, I wonder, you know, if if uh, the impact of the Pope's words and, and his leadership style, do you think that do you think that that could also change someone like a Salvatore Cordelione? Well, you know, he's a fascinating man. I had the opportunity to meet with him. Uh, at at one point, almost a year ago now, um, and I have to say it was one of the most uh, surprising two hours of my life. Um, I and another member of the Dignity USA leadership team had uh, been invited to meet with him after we signed you know one of those letters of protest uh, saying you, he shouldn't be appearing at the National March for Marriage, so-called March for Marriage. Um, and, and we sat for two hours and talked with him about our lives, about our faith, about what he was doing and how it was being received in the community. Um, and I felt like he really listened, mm. uh, but we really haven't seen any change in what he's done. And, you know, he has, uh, I mean, there was great negotiation um, on the part of the Catholic school teachers and the students and parents came out, you know, in support of not including these heinous statements in the teacher contract. And I think they made some great strides in that effort. Um, But he's clearly pretty emblematic of the sort of right wing of Catholic leadership, you know, that are really engaged in these culture wars and uh, just fairly inflexible on uh, on the Catholic rules around LGBT people and same-sex relationships and, and transgender folk status. So, you know, I, I, I remain hopeful that continued encounters um, might be seeping in on some level, but it's hard to deny that he's maintained this sort of hard-line political place. And, you know, it's really difficult to have somebody with that focus um, as the Archbishop of San Francisco. I think that's just a, a <laughs> terrible mismatch between shepherd and flock. And, you know, hopefully over time uh, that assignment 
will be changed. Right, right, right. And no, it's it, it is. We've we've uh, I mean, you know, it's been a surprise to even non-Catholics here in the Bay Area um, at, you know, Dignity USA. And, and some of the things that, you know, Michael brought up yesterday in terms of, uh, you know, the pope and, and the doctrine hasn't changed much in terms of the position regarding LGBT people at Dignity USA. How do you support LGBT Catholics um, who may who may feel as if they're either being attacked or not included or feeling um, that the, the, you know, maybe the religion is not inclusive of them. Sure. Um, we do a number of things. I think we're best known for having a series, a series of chapters all across the country that provide LGBTQ affirming and welcoming liturgies, uh, social support, educational support, that sort of thing at a local level um, so that folks, can come and worship or experience community of other Catholics in a place where they're totally accepted, where their relationships are affirmed, where their gender identity is embraced, you know, without question, and, and where our lives are really central um, to, the, to the liturgy. Um, we, of course, do a lot of public advocacy work, both within the Church and on civic issues where the Catholic vote makes a difference and working with Catholic politicians around how they can support LGBTQ issues as part of their faith, not in spite of their faith. Um, we do a lot of work right now with church workers who are experiencing either intimidation or being outright fired um, from their jobs because of who they are, whom they love, or what they believe. Uh, unfortunately, that's been a growing need over the past few years as bishops uh, seem to say that getting married to a partner of the same sex is an outright rejection uh, of church teaching, and, and more and more people have, you know, have been fired from their positions, um, many of whom can't go public about their stories, but we try and provide them support and guidance as to what recourses are available to them and you know, how to sort of move through this, uh, this real violation. Of, of what the church teaches about the dignity of rights. And most recently, we have started, um, we have announced that we are going to be working for full sacramental equality mm. for LGBTQ people in the church. You know, right now, of course, marriage in the church is close to us, ordination is close to us. It's sometimes not clear if uh, our kids will be welcome for baptism or, you know, other sacraments of the church. Trans folks um, can't have their baptismal certificates uh, rewritten, uh, you know, into their correct gender. And we think all of that does huge pastoral damage both to us and to other people in the Church. So I think that uh, for the next several years, at least, we'll really be working to raise awareness of uh, the harm that is done by these policies that are so exclusive. Marianne, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to wrap up our conversation. Thanks so much. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this quick break. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of The Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. 
It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Wednesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. On the phone with us is Marianne Duddy-Burke, who is the executive director of Dignity USA. Marianne, um, I, I thank you so much for telling us about the great work that Dignity USA is doing for LGBT Catholics. Um, you know, one thing I did want to mention is I, I do know that we have made great progress, I think, in the the Catholic community regarding LGBT equality. Um, That we can say, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The vast majority of Catholics are out there standing with us, and, you know, it's a great, great thing to see. Do you think that uh, more people, more LGBT Catholics are coming out, which uh, which is a good thing? It helps with the cause? Absolutely. You know, I think we all know that it's that that experience of knowing and loving somebody who identifies as LGBTQ that really transforms hearts, you know, and, and particularly for Catholics, we see that experience of, you know, trying to reconcile church teachings with, you know, what you know about your daughter, your son, your brother, your nephew, you know, a cousin, somebody that you really care about in your friendship network. It just doesn't make sense, and and folks jump to the social justice teachings or their experience of conscience or just the message of love and inclusion that is so deeply embedded in our faith, and that makes all the difference. Um, I, you know, I, I, you mentioned earlier the um, the different chapters that you have. It's a national organization. Do you have kind of like a rough idea or, or number maybe that's been reported regarding LGBTQ Catholics? There really isn't any good statistical information about the number of folks who identify as LGBTQ and Catholics. Um, What I think we have seen recently that's been sort of disturbing is the number of folks who have left the church. I mean, overall, you know, four in ten adults who were raised Catholic 
no longer identify that way, and mm-hmm. it's largely over issues of sexuality, gender, or relationship issues. And those numbers are even higher for folks who identify as LGBTQ. So, you know, the, the church is losing a lot of great people because of its teaching, and we just hope that they are able to find good spiritual community in other places. Right. Right. My last question for you, Mariana, you know, as we look um, to the future and also I think, you know, wrapping up just the shock of today and many people are talking about it and it's trending the Kim Davis visit with the Pope. um, You said it earlier, you remain hopeful. What do we what do we uh, what do we look for, you know, or look to in, in the future, in the near future? maybe, you know, regarding religion and, and how the this discussion has started now um, that crosses over politically regarding equal treatment and, and our lives. Sure. Um, Michelle, I think it's very true that folks are coming to realize that, you know, coming out as gay or as transgender is often a deeply spiritual experience. You know, this is not something that is separate, um, that separates LGBTQ people from from other folks. In fact, in some ways, it often makes us more finely attuned to those those spiritual messages. And so, I think the narrative about you know God versus gay is is really changing. I think that's very hopeful. I think that we've really seen that um, that our struggles are part of the overall justice movement. And as we make gains, hopefully we can turn our energies to uh, to other causes that are really important um, justice issues. So I think all of that is, is really hopeful. Um, you know, and I think it's also a matter that that as younger people come up and take leadership in, in some of our religious institutions, many of them are much more committed to LGBTQ equality than folks from earlier generations who, you know, who grew up in an environment where this was just, you know, gay people weren't out. And, you know, what they were taught was was very different. So we've shed a lot of those sort of old messages, and I think that's really hopeful for our religious future. Marianne, thank you so much for sharing your, your time and your thoughts with us here on the program. Thanks again for having me. If you would like more information uh, regarding Dignity USA and the work that they do, please visit DignityUSA.org. All right, Fong, it almost seems like uh, we just started the show. (laughs) Yeah, it ended too quick, I think. That was a really good show. Yeah. I really enjoyed both of our guests and... um, you know, the religious leaders out there, although sometimes the media can make them seem as if they are out of this world or, you know, that they the things that they say don't uh, necessarily connect with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of the religious leaders in, in that I've come across since childhood to adulthood are actually some of the smartest people I know. Wow. What are uh, some uh, examples of, um, you know, those folks who seem to be very intelligent? Well, I mean, you take, you know, someone like an Alan Chambers, um, who obviously have had a lot of experiences, um, both good and bad. And the great thing about it is he's learned from uh, some of his experiences and, and, and that it wasn't too late in terms of harming 
you know, the, the his community or mm-hmm. the future community and, and people uh, who are part of a religious group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, those to me are the, the greatest, most intelligent people because they, they have the experience. So we also had a guest here uh, not too long ago, Michael Glotz, in which a movie was made about his life. Um, I'm Michael with James Franco. And, uh, and, and, and it was about Michael Glotz who was a former, you know, pastor who, well, not a former, I'm so sorry. He's a, he renounced his uh, sexuality, his homosexuality, and is now a Christian pastor. But I think that his unique experience in going from being gay to not being gay and to from being not religious to someone who is religious or someone, you know what I mean? Like, I think that he gives great perspective. And until this day, he can talk about being more inclusive and accepting. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by they say those are some of the most intelligent people because they have so much knowledge. Yeah. Both good experiences. and bad. Yeah. I don't think, I think that when somebody says to you, I'm perfect. <laughs> you should trust me, you know, and that person is a pastor or is, I, I don't know. I would be like, okay, I don't trust you because no <laughs> one is perfect. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, wait, what do you mean you're perfect? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, we have another great show for you tomorrow that, you know, and, and again, I'm sorry. So some of these days I've been sick and so we haven't been able to produce fresh new shows, but it's great because then you're reminded of all, all the uh, other good content that we have. So just to remind you again, on Fridays, we broadcast John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, his week-to-week political roundtable talk. So if you're really into politics as well as, um, you know, uh, staying in tune and in touch with the presidential race, make sure you tune into that program, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And then on Sundays, we get groovy with music, arts, culture. Uh, with, it, it's everything with B.B. Sweetbriar. Um, and I remain here. Uh, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time throughout the rest of the week. If you have any comments for us or suggestions on content or topic, please let me know at michellemeow.com. Thanks again for joining us here today. Have a glass of wine and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.